0: Hello, welcome back to another show. This is the Inner Fight Podcast. This is episode number 702. And this is quite a good time for it to come out as the weather here in Dubai is heating up. Hopefully, if you're in Europe, the weather is also heating up, although mm, not too sure about that. If you live in a hot country, even if you don't live in a hot country, if you're a human being... Hydration is something super important. We've been told how many cups of water a day we should drink. We've been told that we should drink these sports drinks, energy drinks, all sorts of stuff like that. Well, today we go right to the source. We bring on sports scientist Andy Blow, the gentleman behind Precision Hydration, who's worked with a number of different athletes as well as being an athlete himself. And as he explains in this show, learning from his mistakes. We try and break things down to make it easy for you guys. Should you be judging your hydration on the color of your urine? Or should you just be ordering another Gatorade? No matter where you are in the world, thank you so much for tuning in to today's show. Let's catch up with Andy and see what he's got to say. Welcome back to another episode of the show, ladies and gentlemen, and given the fact that we are coming into summertime, given the fact that I'm sat in Dubai, and currently it's about out there, it's about 35 degrees, who else better to have on the show than the man himself, Precision Hydration, Mr. Andy Blow. Andy,
1: thank you. Good to be here, Marcus. I wish it was 35 degrees where I am. It's not quite. <laughs> I sort of thought that, mate. As I said it, I was like, well, that's Robin
0: salt <laughs> right into the wounds from the get-go, isn't it? <laughs> Unbelievable. Mate, I, I listen with, with, with real interest. You were recently on the Run Strong podcast, the other podcast that we run here from NFI, And I want to sort of start, mate. I loved your story about your triathlon in Nice back in i think it was just before the turn of the century just in in the late 90s mate so i'd like to start with a little bit of sort of background on yourself you're obviously a top end competitor tell us all about it mate
1: yeah i learned the hard way about hydration really to be honest with you i was i went to um i went to university to study sports science but and I did learn a good bit there. But what I, where I really learned about the subject was by going to hot countries, doing long triathlons and getting it all wrong, really. <laughs> um, you know, sometimes, as they say, exper- I think the phrase is like, experience is what you get when you didn't get what you were really after. Um, you know, and I, and I got a lot of experience of getting hydration wrong. And the, the one you're referring to is probably actually... Just after two, that's probably like two thousand and two or something, and it right. was in Nice, and it was the it was the long distance triathlon world championships. It was the first time I'd made the elite team for Great Britain for a lot long, for long distance race, and I was very keyed up and excited. It was hot, and I screwed it up by drinking too much water in the days before the race and too much water during the race. So I sort of overhydrated and washed all of the salts out of my body, and it wasn't good. <laughs>
0: Mate, I, I sort of want to, I mean, you are about hydration, precision hydration. If we go back to basics, and I, if I, I was actually thinking when I was listening to that, I left, like, I left school, 99. I remember in 95, 96, when I was running cross country, we were told to drink water, but actually I never drunk any So the basis, and I I remember going to cross country meets actually, and literally you'd you'd run the whole race, and they'd be like a cup of water or or an orange at the end. Since then, we've really evolved when it when it comes to hydration. We've been told so many different things. Now we sat here in 2021, mate. What's the general advice for people that? like you spoke about overhydrate. What what should people actually be looking for? Like there's so much confusion because 20 years ago we were doing nothing.
1: You're right. It's a very, it is a confusing picture because we've had this sort of flip flop of advice over the years. If you go back even further, so if you really want rewind the clock and go back a hundred years, athletes were told to drink and eat nothing when they did races and training sessions. It was like nil by mouth was the way forward. Then we got to the, and that was still the case in like the 60s, 70s, you would often see people running marathons or doing long bike r- races, either trying to drink nothing or trying to drink as little as they could. Cause people thought that you could sort of willpower could, you know, you thirst because obviously with athletics, as you will well know, there's a lot of gritting your teeth and pushing through barriers, you know, and sort of thirst is a pretty nasty. If you get really thirsty, it's a horrid experience, but The the theory was, oh, well, it's just another thing. You've got like gritty teeth and push through. But then scientists started to test this and realize that actually, you know, if you give athletes drinks, they can go harder for longer. They can perform better. And and then that advice gradually mutated into something it, it shouldn't have been, which was like drink as much as you can. And I think that was when that era in the 90s or so was the kind of pinnacle of that when we were getting this message to drink, 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 drink yeah. all the time. And and I would say, if anything, nowadays, the advice is kind of coming back more to a middle ground, which is you like, you'll hear this phrase a lot in sports science, is drink to thirst, which mm. is what it says on the tin. You know, you, you listen to your body and you drink when you're thirsty. And I think most people would, would agree that, for the majority of people, the majority of the time, is it's a, it's a good approach. You know, as in, yeah. you don't try and ignore thirst, but at the same time, you listen to it and respond appropriately. You drink to, to prevent thirst getting bad. Yeah. Where that's been that's been sort of like sold though as a panacea, as like all you need to do. And I think where it falls down is in places like where you are, where it's exceptionally hot. Where when, if you're an athlete or if you're just someone who's going to do a lot of sweating, so you might, you might not be an athlete, you might be somebody who works outdoors in a hot or humid environment. Mm. You can, if you, and also if you don't, if you're not very good, as stupid as this sounds, if you're not very good at reading your body's thirst signals, because as athletes, you get, you get quite tuned into your body and it's but it's like any skill you kind of need to learn to read it and and what's like a little bit of thirst versus a lot of thirst versus a horrific amount of thirst i'm sure we could all tell if we were horrifically thirsty or not at all but where's the graduation in between and and so when you're doing long hot races or working outside and sweating like you can become a little bit too dehydrated before you realize it and so some of the advice that we would have got in the 90s early 2000s around drink before you're thirsty yeah which again kind of has some merit but if you if it's taken to extremes as i did yeah and as a lot of athletes have done you can end up over drinking so it's a tricky message to get across you know and there's not there's not like a sound bite you know there's not like drink as much as you can doesn't work yeah Drink to thirst doesn't entirely work. There's not a sound bite. It's like individual circumstances, individual situation needs to be taken into account. But but I, the one thing I would say is, it does have a big element of learning to listen to your body.
0: Hey, you said something super interesting that you overhydrated, that you put too much water into your body. Let's hit that because there's a lot of people that are pumping a lot of water into their body and there is a negative side to it. So talk us through that experience, mate, and then maybe the scientific side of it.
1: Yeah. So what? how it manifested with me was I was doing this hot race. I'd already drunk a lot of water in the days before because I was nervous about getting dehydrated during the race. Mm. Then when my performance started to deteriorate in the – two or three hours into the race my initial assumption is i'm getting dehydrated even though i'm drinking a lot i'm obviously not drinking enough i need to double down and drink more Mm. and so gradually that manifested as like a lethargy and cramping and a loss of power and just feeling like all just feeling horrendous slightly nauseous just like someone's pulled your plug out but again being an athlete you'll know the difference here not that feeling you get when you run out of glycogen when you run out of sugar energy it's not like a low blood sugar feeling it's yeah. a bit more of a nondescript malaise and you just feel crap basically yeah. and that for me you know just leaping forward the, the when i realized yeah. how, it was salt depletion and, and uh, electrolyte depletion rather than an over, sort of dilution of those was the next morning when i was like drawn like a magnet to the mcdonald's that was across the street from my hotel and just <laughs> eating salty french fries and they made me feel great again because the science behind it is what you've done if you drink too much water you dilute the salt levels in your blood and the salt it's actually the sodium levels that matter so salt is sodium chloride nacl and it's the sodium bit that is influential in fluid balance in the body and blood volume so when what happens is like lots and lots of things in your body it's under the control of a a system called homeostasis and all homeostasis means is that it's, it's a it's a tension of systems trying to keep your body in balance. So core temperature is held in place by homeostasis. You know, you sweat if you're hot and you shiver if you're cold to get your core temperature back up. With your blood, one of the homeostatic controls looks after the amount of sodium that's in there. And it has to be um, between 135 and 145 millimoles of sodium per liter. If it goes outside of those pretty narrow boundaries Hmm. things there's got a cascade of problems that can can go wrong now when you drink a lot of water quickly that water goes into the bloodstream because it goes in through the gut into your bloodstream and then it dilutes the blood and if you dilute that sodium level down too low the body will make you pee first of all because that's one way of getting rid of excess fluid that's the primary way of getting rid of excess fluid but if you go beyond the amount that you can pee out your body will start to shift fluid from the from the, the the veins and arteries, the vascular system into its own cells. It's like a holding tank. So it and they start to swell up. So you get puffy fingers and you get swollen ankles. And the problem is you can get a puffy brain, because you can get, you can absorb your brain absorbs water from the bloodstream, puffs up, and then pushes against the inside of your skull. And unfortunately, there have been quite a few cases of athletes being very, very ill or dying from this condition, which is called hyponatremia. Yeah. if you if they over-consume water. What's yeah. worse with endurance athletes as well is if you're sweating a lot, you're obviously losing salt at the same time in your sweat, and so you're kind of getting the double whammy. You're getting hit with um, reduced reduced blood sodium because you're diluting it, plus you're losing a load of salt through your sweat glands as well.
0: Isn't that uh, that's similar to... <laughs> That's how people used to die, again, when I was probably a bit younger, when, when they took ecstasy and take too much, or took ecstasy and then really pump in the water, brain starts to yeah. swell and eventually it kills
1: them. 100%. So there was a, you'll remember, I reckon, because you're similar era to me, Leah Betts was like the famous yes, yes. ecstasy death, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm pretty sure she died, unfortunately, of hypernatremia, which was dancing all night, which is, you know, sweaty activity. A massive overconsumption of water and as a result it was yeah swelling of the brain that kills you not the drugs or whatever actually ironically it's like just yeah. a simple imbalance of a really simple element
0: one of those situations where you should have taken more of the bad stuff and less of the good stuff and you would have lived but anyway we'll move yeah. on from that one yeah. mate hey, one of the things that that we we hear a lot so you know we, we're talking about how much to have and you know drink to thirst and 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 people are kind of in tune with that some are some aren't but one of the biggest barometers if if you like for for hydration that we've been taught is obviously the color of our urine now this isn't always the best measure talk to us a little bit about that Andy
1: well generally fluid balance in the body is primarily controlled by your kidneys making you wee out more or less water so when you wee out more water your wee is clearer because your body is your kidneys are, are getting the message for whatever reason that there's an, uh, an abundance of water and so when you pee you'll pee out more volume and you'll put pee out more frequently because your body has effectively or thinks at least it's got water to spare when you get dehydrated your urine becomes really dark mm. and it's sort of yellowy color or if it's really bad it starts to go down the down the palette of colors into the browns and and then you really are getting dehydrated because you what your body's doing then your kidneys are filtering more water back into the system because they're trying to conserve it so there is there is a correlation between like how dark your wee is and how much water your body's trying to conserve but that's not the same as saying like if your pee is dark you're always dehydrated or if your pee is clear you're always well hydrated because there's, there's ways the body gets tricked, usually cut into the chase on it. If you want to know, if you want to look at your pee to see how hydrated you are, when you first get up in the morning and you go for a wee, that's usually a pretty good sign because you've had overnight for your body to kind of get some equilibrium going. And it's a bit of a better reflection. Once you've had a couple of coffees or you've got up and had a bottle of water or been to the gym or done whatever, your body's getting all these different hormonal signals different levels of fluid you know you could be dehydrated shotgun 2 liters of water your pee would go clear yeah. but you're not going to be absorbing much of that water so yeah. you're not actually at cellular level you're probably not brilliantly hydrated
0: we hear that as well mate i remember my parents used to tell me stop stop guzzling the water and people are told small sips. What's the what's the sort of myths? What's the what should we be looking out for there? Is that is that right? Is it you know we wake up? Should we be having a liter of water or what? What's your sort of take on that?
1: I would say there's no one size fits all answer to that. But guzzling or sipping, I don't think there's a huge amount of difference in terms of what's the, the limiting factor is probably for most people. As a rule of real rough rule of thumb you can't absorb much more than about a litre of water an hour yeah. so if you st- if you are consistently trying to or forcing yourself to drink more than that you are almost certainly overdoing it you know we do know athletes and we work with some endurance athletes who who drink a bit more than that on occasion when they're sweating very heavily we've probably all been in an occasion when we've had a big night out or we've been out in the sun and you kind of feel like you can drink a litre, litre and a half and you do and yeah. it all goes in and you, you, you know, your body's crying out for it, it absorbs it but in the general run of things yeah. like whether you sip 250 mils like twice in an hour or drink 500 mils altogether I don't think it makes it a ton of difference there's yeah. a bit of evidence to suggest if you take a big drink of water or any anything for that matter it stretches your stomach a bit and then exits the stomach into the gut a bit faster and you would maybe then that could speed up absorption but i think that's marginal yeah. you know, ma- mainly it's about it's about sort of like drinking at a pace that suits you
0: absolutely mate take us back then to where precision hydration started kind of because of this experience you, you you had in Nice, was that was that sort of the trigger? It's like, oh, I really cocked that up. I better sort of use my skill set, and 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 then I'm going to make it. What what was the what was the background that, that that put you to founding Precision Hydration and get you to where you are today?
1: Yeah, it was it was it it was Nice was a big catalyst in that, but it was lots of experiences like that. I was routinely screwing up in hot races and hot countries you know so which is an expensive hobby when you fly all the way to Hawaii to do the Ironman and you know bomb out because you got your hydration wrong it's really frustrating and and like any athlete at the time I was you know pretty obsessed I guess with what I was doing so there was it was the early earlier days of the sort of internet getting going with chat rooms and things like that and I was I started to delve into some of these ultra running forums which were places where people were talking about running 100 milers and all this and there was a lot of chat in those about salt loss and lots of disagreement about how much salt you needed to replace with your hydration and so I spoke to a friend of mine who was a doctor to try and clear it up and he his take on it was well it's probably quite individual because everyone loses different amounts of salt and he said I think you lose a lot of salt and that was really when the light bulb Moment sort of happened, if, if there was one, in yeah. that I got a sweat test done. So I got my s- sodium levels in my sweat measured. They were really high, which fit with the picture of what was happening to me. And, and basically, the, my friend who was a doctor suggested uh, a lot more salt in not only in my diet, but in what I was taking specifically in races, a bit less fluid. And it was like night and day. It was just really? like it was the change for me. And You'll you have seen this in in sport many times. Most of the gains you ever get are slow, small and incremental and based on a lot of hard work. But once in a while, if you're lucky, you find something out or you change a technique or you change a product or you do something and it like it changes the game for you. Yeah. And for me, it was literally like getting that ratio of salt and fluid right. And I was all of a sudden punching up, up at the weight I felt I should be in hot races.
0: That's incredible, mate. I mean, and... and you sort of really persevered with it to, to then share that with, with, with other athletes. And I mean, you work with some really top athletes and, and sports institutions now on something that is, is almost, I don't know, for me, it's something that's quite basic because it's like, okay, we, we've known for hundreds of years that we need water to live, but we're still fine tuning it and and the levels of it mixed with, electrolyte sodium and you know all, all of this stuff so but it's 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 almost to me somehow it's almost like low-lying fruit and and the difference is absolutely huge
1: yeah there's a the the interesting thing is if you give obviously people or any animals free access to water so they can yeah. drink whenever they like unless they've got a, a major problem they will not die of dehydration, you know, because your your drive to drink and to balance your losses with your intake is very, very strong. It's why people in the desert go totally mad if they, you know, if they run out of water because it's so the drive to drink when it's there is so. Good. So our instincts for survival around hi- hydration are hardwired and really deep. I think where it gets confusing is that those instincts are wired for survival and sort of keeping the body balanced and hydrated, but they're not optimized for like high performance sport yeah. because that's a different thing. You know, if you take an Ironman, for example, going as hard as you can for nine hours in a hot climate, you know, overriding a lot of your body signals, sweating liters and liters and all the rest is it is not a, an activity which the body is like per se designed to do. <laughs> so we, we can do it, but yeah. we need to then sort of hack the systems a little bit because if you just... Although there are people who would disagree with me, I I, I would say pretty strongly if you just set out on an Ironman with no plan on how much you were going to drink, most people would screw it up. Yeah, they wouldn't drink enough early on, and they'd end up too dehydrated further down the line. Yeah. So that's when that's when the sort of like the knowledge piece comes in. But sports marketing has done a, as it does, has done like a pretty pretty inadequate job of like pushing the right messages over the years and yeah. again there's a there's a few books been written pointing the finger at Gatorade in particular for doing that and all the rest of it. and I, I always think those things are a bit harsh because they're not it's not ever any one person or any one corporation or any one company's sort of mission to go out and mislead people but what happens is it's like death by a thousand cuts you get loads of little bits of slightly Chinese whispers, wrong information put out there. Like the marketing department, look at scientific information and like cherry pick and twist yeah. it a little bit. And before you know it, all of that adds up together, and you end up promoting a pretty, a pretty poor message.
0: Yeah,
1: um, and that's kind of what's happened. It's confused everyone.
0: Well, I was going to say, mate, and it, it's funny because on the few notes that I that I have. Gatorade is on there and so as soon as you said sports marketing's done a, a, a good job of almost misinforming us I sort of put that right next to the word Gatorade and and really if we, we're almost on quite an interesting timeline here aren't we because those drinks kind of erupted probably almost at the same time, like late nineties, early two thousands, you've got to have them, you need to have them. I remember when I was playing rugby down in Australia, it was not called Gatorade, it was was Powerade and they they were the sponsors of the Wallabies and because the Wallabies were drinking this stuff and they actually had a flavor called Wallaby Gold Rush and obviously it tasted absolutely brilliant you know and and (laughs) we'd be and then you know this stuff's like it's it's almost like the magic formula isn't it because it's great for sports performance it tastes nice during the day and and it's really good when you're hung over as well so like the Gatorades and Powerades kind of changed the world but what and and they're still around to a certain extent I think it's probably guys like you and companies like yours that have Put them a little bit out of business, but they still have massive marketing budgets. But what for the layman, mate? Like, what is a sports drink, and, and is Gatorade what people should be going to? Should they be mixing that with their water? Where do you, where do we stand on that?
1: So yeah, great. That's a really interesting question because you, if you think about sport, any sports nutrition product is like getting a tool for the the right tool for the job, you know, and gatorade power Aid, aid whatever most of the aids out there they are basically like a six percent or thereabouts carbohydrate solution which means there's about 60 grams of carbohydrate in one liter of it they usually have a few hundred milligrams of sodium and one or two a sprinkling of like pixie dust sprinkling of other electrolytes in there and then water so they're not They're not actually sort of like anything special, but what what has been proven time and time again, and this is like scientifically proven, not just marketing BS, (laughs) is that you give that solution to someone who's working hard. Let's say, for example, playing 80 minutes of hard rugby in the heat. If you give someone half a litre of that during the game, then they will be able to run faster, jump higher tackle harder and all the rest it in the last 15, 20 minutes, because mm. what that product is doing is it's, there's a, there's a trifecta of things that you lose when you exercise hard, you lose fluids, you lose salts and you burn carbohydrates. And if you put some semblance of those three things back in, yeah. you're going to go better and stronger. So sports drinks are not magic, but they feel like magic when you are getting depleted. Yeah. And it's the same when you've got a hangover or whatever. So yeah. used in the right context, they're great, when they're not so well used is like we see you know in the us you see i don't know tom brady is uh, i don't know he probably isn't i don't he's probably not a spokesman for gatorade but you know you see someone famous athlete spokesman for gatorade and then what you get is that association with people think, oh, it must be healthy because so and so drinks it but in reality like a gatorade's got nearly as much sugar in it as a well about 60 70 percent amount of sugar that are kind of coke's got in it yeah so it's not a healthy drink if you sat on your ass driving your truck or <laughs> you know watching or watching the super bowl instead of playing in it so <laughs> th- th- there's a lot more there's a lot more options out there like what we focus on as a business we we make drinks that are that so they're called isotonic drinks those ones because they're similar thickness to your blood we make something called hypotonic drinks which means they're lower so hypo not hyper like right. with a, a H Y P O. They've got a lower concentration, so they've got much less. They've either got zero carbohydrate, or they've got a very little amount of carbohydrate in. Right. And and then they've got lots of electrolytes in. So when you're sweating a lot in a hot climate and working out, you can use those to replace what you lose in your sweat. But if you need calories, you can sort of tune that elsewhere. So because the problem with an isotonic drink is you start drinking lots and lots of it hour after hour, you feel very sick because mm-hmm. it just it's too thick and too syrupy. Yeah. Whereas a hypertonic drink replaces what you lose in your sweat and you can take an energy gel or a bar or some real food or whatever to, to match your, your needs. So for people, we, we have a lot of people that use our effervescent electrolyte tablets when they're like, we've got a, a company in Texas, for example, who fit insulation in people's roofs of their houses and it's like savagely hot and they're sweating, but their energy burn isn't super high, but they right. sweat a lot. Right. So, you know, those kind of circumstances is when, an electrolyte hypotonic drink is there's actually if people are interested in that topic as well there's we've got a blog on our website which i can give you the link for we can put it in the show notes it's and it describes the different types of sports drinks because going back to the tool analogy if you it is a bit like you know if you use an isotonic sports drink just for hydration it is a bit like picking a picking a hammer to put a screw in the wall you know what you really need is a screwdriver you know but (laughs) It kind of you can kind of make it happen but it's not it, it's not the ideal solution
0: yeah yeah and I, I think that's one thing if, if, if we sort of bring it back to, to this part of the world dubai Middle East where we have a lot of, of, of our listeners I and mean, as, I, as I said today I think it's about 34, 35 at the moment and and we 're in the northern hemisphere so it's only getting hotter and we get up to about 50 degrees here hmm. what should the general person who's let let's let's create someone you know they, they work an office job but they participate in an hour of sport every day maybe five days a week and perhaps two or or three of those days where they're active they're actually doing something outside what what generally is the advice to that person? Do they need to be? Do they need to hop over to to, to, to your website? Do they need to be ordering, you know, some some electrolytes. What what do we really need on that level?
1: I think if you're the only difference between living in a hot climate and not, and with this person is that like in in a in a cooler climate, that person who's just doing the odd bit of training here and there and all this, it probably hasn't got a high amount of need for a sports drink or an electrolyte drink because they're just not accumulating enough sweat losses for it to be impactful on their, their homeostasis. You know, they'll, they'll basically get the electrolytes they need from the food they eat. As long as they drink water and they drink enough of it without going overboard, like we've talked about everything, the body's very good at sorting itself out where it becomes a bit different is okay. Well, if all of a sudden, like you're doing three or four of those hour long sessions, and some of them are in the heat. And what's more like during the day, you're not always in air con, you are getting exposed to the temperature and your kind of natural amount of fluid loss goes up, then maybe one or two of those hypertonic um, electrolyte drinks during the day are really good. And and I would and I would add to that, like people who travel to Dubai or to the Middle East or anywhere hot for a, a holiday or a vacation, you know, when I go to usually pre sort of COVID I would be going um, in February, March would be going to Arizona and then Florida for baseball spring training to work with MLB teams. Right. It's really hot and dry there. And I would yeah. find that even if I'm not doing much training during the day, I'll have one or two electrolytes because you just, your fluid turnover just goes up, yeah. you know, in in az you like in dubai you're losing it because it's hot and dry and you can feel it like your lips are cracking and it's just that sort of heat over in florida it's hot and humid and you're just dripping with sweat the whole time yeah so while you adapt you would probably take them until you kind of get into the routine of your body getting a bit more used to that climate
0: I think that there, there, there are other good signs as, as, as well, mate, you, you mentioned there and, and, and things that folks need to be looking out for is like, if you are working out outside, like sometimes we see if people are wearing like a black shirt or, or, or a dark colored cap, we see at the end of a, a session, there's a lot of, there's a lot of salt. Talk to us a little bit about that, mate. Like it's weird for some people like, oh, I'm salty and oh, it's stinging in my eyes now. What's actually going on there?
1: Yeah, so that's that's because when you sweat, your sweat cl- is, comes from your blood. So the watery bit of your blood, the plasma, is filtered into the sweat glands, and it's salty because your blood is very, very salty. It's It's got a lot of salt in it, and it exits onto the skin and evaporates. And mm. your sweat glands reabsorb a little bit of that electrolyte, that sodium and that chloride, before it evaporates, but not all of it. And everyone's sweat glands are different so to give you an example in every litre that i sweat out i lose somewhere between about 1500 and 1800 milligrams of sodium so 1.5 to 1.8 um, grams of sodium per liter of sweat some people evaporate would lose as little as two or 300 milligrams so right. sort of Way less than half what I'm losing. And so, if you're one of those people like me that does lose a bit more salt, it's not normally a lot you can do about it. It's quite genetic, yeah. Yeah. but you'll see it on your skin and clothing. And you're right, you my sweat, if it goes in my eyes, stings. If I've got a yeah. graze on my skin, it stings like hell, you know. So, if you get a chafing, you know, when you're yeah. out running and it stings like anything. Yeah. So, and, and all you can do in that situation is replace a bit more salt. And then yeah. you'll, you'll find that you'll, you know you'll naturally sort of feel a lot better as a result
0: because sometimes i think that there's an inclination like oh you've got loads of salt you're massively dehydrated you're not normal you haven't done your you haven't taken care of your hydration properly but yeah. it's actually super it's actually super individual as you've said
1: yeah definitely it's you wouldn't you wouldn't sort of be able to judge someone's hydration status by the amount of salt you see on them it's just genetics
0: you said one thing there mate that you know that you that 1500 to 1800 milligrams of sodium comes out of you talk to us about a little bit of the testing that people, if they wanted to know sort of things like people might've heard of, 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 sweat rate, what salts coming out, what sort of testing should people be looking at?
1: Well, sweat, sweating's got two dimensions to it. There's like how much you sweat and there's what's in your sweat and how much you sweat is easy to measure. So you can go for a run or you can go to the gym or do a bike ride whatever you weigh yourself before and you weigh yourself after, as long as you take off any sweaty clothing. So you're not reweighing your sweat in that way. Any weight that you've lost will be basically sweat loss. So one, one liter of fluid loss is about a kilo and you'll, you'll generally find, you know, speaking for, I mean, my numbers that I understand are a bit more focused specifically on endurance athletes, but usually you'll find people have a sweat rate when they're training of between like half a liter and two liters an hour which is quite a big window, but you know, it is, it can vary quite a lot. Like when I do one hour on my indoor bike trainer in 20 degrees, I'll lose about a kilo, kilo and a half in weight, something like that. If it's not too hard, if it's a hard session, I might lose two. And so That's again on our website, there's a very downloadable, easy to use guide. If you want it, we've got a spreadsheet you can just download for free, bang your numbers into it, weigh yourself before and after a session, it'll work out your sweat rate for you. And that helps you just to calibrate. It doesn't mean, by the way, if you lose two kilos, you've got to drink two liters after that session.
0: (laughs) That's what's gonna be my next question.
1: Yeah. yeah, You have at some point got to do that, but you haven't got to shotgun it in really quickly. You know, it's just you it's about calibrating your understanding of okay well i'm i'm a guy who loses a lot or a medium amount or a little bit whatever yeah. and and then you can you can adjust your, your sort of the aggressiveness of your hydration plan accordingly the other bit the other piece is the salt level in your sweat that's a bit more genetic yes and we we do it that's one of our um sort of like usps if you like at precision hydration is we have a sweat test so you can we can take a sweat sample from you you have to go to a location where there's a test machine to do this but people can look on our website to find those if there's there are a couple out in the middle east now um and you can take a sweat sample you can um we can measure it and tell you how much salt you're losing obviously that and if you know what your sweat rate is you know what your salt concentration is it gives you a really good idea then of like what your net salt losses are so that's a test that's obviously pretty interesting for serious athletes people who are doing a a fair bit of training if people are a bit less serious we do also have a an online version of the sweat test on our website which is a clickable link and it's just it asks you some questions and it uses some data that we've built up over a number of years in order to Give It's like a, a, an algorithm that sits behind it that then says, okay, well, Marcus, you've said X, Y, and Z. This probably means your sweat loss is a medium or high, and it gives you a, a strategy off the back of that.
0: That's cool. I'll, I'll, I'll link to that in the show notes. For those that are, are, are keen to grab a hold of that, precisionhydration.com, but I'll put a link to all of this stuff in the show notes so that people can can jump into it. Mate, you, you've obviously been in the game for, for a while, And I'm sure with with certain research that maybe you've done or you've read from others, things have changed and and perhaps we're learning more and evolving what maybe where where is it going like we we we, as we said we we started with sort of gatorade and then we're like no there's too much carbs in that we'll go to something a little bit that's more electrolyte focused where do you think this whole thing will be knowing what you know now about the human body and knowing what you guys as a company precision hydration where where you're headed where are we in in sort of five years with hydration
1: i think products products will always evolve and change because people are creative But the the reality, the reality is that humans in the next five years are not going to evolve to sweat anything other than water and salt. So a good hydration drink in five years time will still be largely water and salt, you know, with a little bit of glucose. Um, So I think what you'll see is you'll continue to see um, BS innovation in that space by adding (laughs) more and more vitamins and minerals and stuff that you've not yet heard of to it. But yeah. that won't. That's never going to change. So we can ignore that. I think where you might see genuine innovation is wearable technology that helps you. So biometric feedback type stuff. You're, um, you know, I'm not. Obviously, affiliated with them in any way, but you're, I'm pretty sure your Apple Watch of the future is going to tell you a bit about your blood. It's going certainly going to be telling you things about your blood glucose levels and stuff yeah. like that. I would imagine it's going to be measuring hydration status where or estimating that where it can. I would we know of people, and we are working with companies that are building sweat sensors, you know, for athletes to wear to measure oh, sweat nice. rate and measure salt saltiness of sweat in real time. So there'll be a lot of learning, and so. Still, I think in five years, we'll still see athletes. I don't think we'll see a patch that reliably tells an athlete what and when to drink exactly. Yeah. I think the athlete will still make that decision with their brain and yeah. all the, you know, their experience. But what I do think is that we'll have that athlete will have access to more information in order to help them make better decisions. So right. in the same way that your GPS watch now, you can run with that. And I run mm. with mine all the time, and I've kind of become addicted to it in the last ten years because it's just brilliant being able to know in real time how fast I'm running. Yeah. I still predominantly fall back on feel, mm. but to have the reassurance of like being told some some metrics, especially when you go to a different climate or a different altitude or whatever it is, that's that's where I think technology will really help us because your watch or your patch or whatever will say to you, okay, Marcus, you know it's cooler today. You're doing this, da da da. You, you know this maybe this is what you need to drink or whatever i don't yeah. see it being entirely prescriptive but it it can probably help especially novices it will probably help educate them faster than learning by pure trial and error
0: it's interesting man. i'm quite excited to see how that might play out because on my mind right now is is what we've seen in the last three or four years is things well even more recently things like whoop uh, tra- yeah. trackers like that giving us loads of data and i mean for the most part, and, and I'm probably, as, I'm definitely as guilty as anyone, but as, a, as an endurance athlete, if you were, and I wore Whoop for six months, if I woke up and Whoop said 10% recovered and I had a two-hour bike to do, I'd go and do the two-hour bike. So yeah. if my if my, uh, if my sweat sensor or my hydration sensor when I wake up says, mate, you're too dehydrated to go and ride your bike this morning, I'll probably just press, yeah, whatever,
1: mate, and, and crack you on. Go ride. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, I don't know if you feel the same, mate. but
1: a hundred um, because i i think until these things are like better than we are at actually knowing our bodies yeah. the great thing about your brain is that it's monitoring all of the inputs that we can measure with, with a device and a whole host more we probably don't even understand fully yet yeah and it's it's forming an opinion and at the end of the day i mean where it might change is if you did that five times in a row and each yeah. of those sessions was awful you yeah. might then learn actually do you know what i'm going to trust this a little bit and i'm going to yeah. adjust what i'm doing but yeah. to give you an example like that i used to do when i was doing my hard hard training i would often plan my biggest one of my biggest sessions for a saturday get up saturday morning go out no matter how you felt do the first 20 30 minutes yeah. and then either continue on or can it at that point and then if i if i canned it then it would be like rest up eat well Sleep night, sleep, go again, do it again Sunday. And, like, if you did that nine times out of 10, it'd be better the next day. But you kind of had to, and I, because you had to explore it, because we've all done it. You can go out and you can feel lousy at the start of a session. Yeah. And then you feel great 20 minutes in. So, (laughs) I always think most, most athletes will do exactly what you've just said. And no matter what their device tells them, unless it's like categoric or you've built up enough trust with it, Mm. you're just going to do what you're going to do. And you should do what you're going to do, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's an interesting one because I I think the number of people I've seen, I'm whoops obviously being the biggest one over the last 18 months. Mm. And as I said, I, I wore a Whoop myself for six months and some days tried to listen to it. Other days ignored it. And after six months, I was like, this test is now over. I'm done with it. And I, you know, (laughs) haven't put it back on. on. Yeah. yeah, It's, it, 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 it's an interesting one, sort of how we take that information, mate. I want to sort of close things out. You guys are a, a, to all intents and purposes, a, a player in the market of sports nutrition. We've mentioned a few times sports marketing, bullshit sports marketing. I want to ask you, how do you stand out as being legit and your product's good? How do you go against these, these bigger guys that we know in a couple of years, because you said it quite clearly, that the human body's not going to change. And I love what you said there, like we're going to we're going to need to fuel our bodies the same because that's what our what our bodies are, but there'll be a new marketing thing. How do you guys sort of try to play that and not get closed out by, you know, the new Coca-Cola that has whatever and it's great for endurance athletes?
1: Yeah, I mean, it is it is a tricky one. We try and tread the fine line always of, of we we market ourselves because we're a company in business and we sell products, but we're always trying to, to create products which have some science, solid science behind them, as well as a depth of practical experience. We try and put that into our education and writing as well. And mm. alongside all of our products, we create tools to help people choose whether they're the right products for them to use because we'd much rather... i'm I'm sure there's a lot of companies out there the bigger companies especially who they the old style of retail which is getting challenged by online is like obviously you pile things high in retail stores and you don't know a lot about your customers that are buying and you put big broadcast messages out and then you you know gatorade for example not highlighting them as being particularly bad but just you know their products are in 7-Eleven stores all across the US—they've got no idea who buys those, what they're using them for, anything. Like we, we sell our products direct to our customers. We have relationships with most of them in terms of even if it's just email cons and email contact. We try to make sure that people are using the right products for them in the right way because not only is that sort of ethically better, it's yeah. also good business because if we give you the right product for what you're doing and it should therefore help you, you're likely to come back for more of it. And so I think that's the philosophy we built our brand on over the last 10 years so we're going to try and stay you know do our best to stay entirely true to that course because we've we've got coming very soon you know we are branching out into other products with some carbohydrate fueling products for endurance athletes but the same will apply it's like trying to get athletes to understand how many grams of carb do you need per hour how do you then like when do you need so you know if you punch into our online tool that's coming that you're doing a session which is 55 minutes long the message you'll get is you don't need one of these products for that session you know it's not long enough which which is probably unusual in the respect that (laughs) a lot of companies are going to sort of because the tendency is to try and sell the product to everyone all the time we'd much rather we'd recommend a carbohydrate product to you when you start going out for 90 minutes two hours three hours or whatever but up until that point you're probably going to be all right just with fueling up with the meal before you go and recovering afterwards you know so it's yeah, just nice. yeah trying to be true with that
0: I like it mate folks please do hop over to precision hydration website have a look what they've got some of the work that's one thing that I love about your website mate there's a lot of a lot of just free information so people can educate themselves a lot better Precisionhydration.com and mate, i, I want to close it out by actually giving you a, a, an invitation to come and uh, put some of your products to the test here in dubai in august hopefully you'll be able to travel then and 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 being an endurance athlete yourself we've got a few different things going on in the heat mate so we could actually do a a real life um yeah well test.
1: that would be that would be fantastic <laughs> I, I I could do with seeing the inside of an aeroplane again. At some point. <laughs> yeah, Still missing
0: it. I think an invite anywhere at the moment gets an immediate sign up, doesn't <laughs> it, mate. But um it but definitely as as we go into the hotter months and athletes that that listen to the show, you know, please hop over to to Andy's website, have a look what they've got and and you'll see that it's quite genuine because there's a lot of information and, and the way that you've shared it mate the way that you framed it i think it makes it super easy for for people to understand humans need certain things and we need to get them in in the purest form and yeah you know, i think that's important so mate thank you so much yeah. for your time Any really anytime. appreciate it it's um no super, super interesting yeah
1: yeah no love love chatting marcus anytime and i might well take you up on that little uh trip right. at some point
0: we're uh, we've got the perfect uh, environment or the perfect <laughs> weather coming in right now and we've got the uh I tell you, the wait, was it last year we we did something and it was incredible Well, we try and do something in the extreme heat every summer and it gets up i think we recorded about 54 degrees during a challenge last year so yeah that yeah. um that puts uh, that puts some stuff to the test.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I <for> bet.
0: Sure. <laughs> awesome, mate. Listen, Andy, thank you so much, mate. Appreciate you being on the show and uh, we'll have to catch up again soon.
1: Thanks, mate. Have a good Peace. one. Bye bye.